0: Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Vanessa Bohm, with Nina Serrano and Julieta Kuznir. In tonight's program, we hear about the current fight to save the Beach Flats Community Gardens in Santa Cruz, which has been an important community resource for over 20 years. We'll also speak with Kathleen Vickery, the co-author of Health Actions for Women, practical strategies to mobilize for change and it's that time for the annual cuba caribe festival stay tuned to hear what listeners can expect from this year's shows and finally we'll end with poetry from resident poet rafael jesus gonzalez all this and more including the very best in contemporary cuban music we'll be featuring the music of Daime arosena and so stay tuned
1: This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have on the phone line Rafael Jesús González, spiritual leader, scholar, activist, and poet. And he's going to be reading to us from his commentary on Thanksgiving. Bienvenidos, Rafael Jesús González.
2: Gracias, Nina. Thanksgiving is a holiday of celebration whose joy is marred by a consciousness of our nation in continual war and destruction of the earth. The government, we, if we tolerate it, not only wages war unjustly, unlawfully, justifying itself through lies and deceit, violating the U.S. Constitution and bills of rights, so that our civil rights and liberties are less and less guaranteed. The wealth of the nation is concentrated in the hands of 1% rich and powerful. And most of our people will celebrate this day with less wealth, less security, less freedom, less learning than 34 years ago. And the struggle to create a democracy continues. In the midst of this pain and exasperation, we must give thanks for the gifts of life and the sustenance of the Great Mother of the Earth and for each other, and all our relations, the other animals, the plants, the minerals. We give thanks, mindful that in our gratitude, we must also raise our voices in the name of justice and peace, resolved to make amends and undertake healing, knowing that gratitude for that which we enjoy at the expense and suffering of our brothers and sisters is blasphemous and unacceptable.
1: You just heard Rafael Jesus Gonzalez commenting on Thanksgiving. Muchas gracias, Rafael Jesus Gonzalez.
3: Sin detenerte entraste En mi corazón Sin medir las frecuencias Ni ver mi reloj Y ahora que hago Con esto que siento Porque estoy muriendo Sin razonar Sin decir Sin tocar Con hacerme sentir Solamente especial ¿Para qué?
4: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Kuznir, and today we have in the studio with us Kathleen Vickery. She's an editor at Hesperian Press and co-author of the new book, Health Actions for Women, Practical Strategies to Mobilize for Change. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Kathleen, so I'm really especially excited to have you here to talk about this great book. I work with community health workers at San Francisco City College, and it is so important to have a guide that can really help people, not just with health information, but with strategies on how to transform where they live and have healthier spaces and places for women and so why don't we take a step back a lot of people know and love Hesperian they know where there is no doctor it's a book that has been widely disseminated and widely used why don't you take a step back and tell people a little bit about first of all what Hesperian has kind of done in the past like what kind of books it's produced and what makes health actions for women a little different
5: so Hesperian actually, it's actually Hesperian Health Guides um, We're based here in Berkeley and have been in the Bay Area for, we've already celebrated a 40th anniversary. Um, it would be interesting for people to know that Where There Is No Doctor was initially published in Spanish. The first edition was actually Donde No Hay Doctor. And since then, all the publications that are directly, you know, written and edited and published by Hesperian are done both in English and Spanish. Before anything's published, we have contacts with community organizations literally all over the world. And so when we're drafting material, these organizations work with it first. And then they send us comments. They say, this works. This doesn't work. So in addition to Where There Is No Doctor, there's also a women's health book called "You Know Where Women Have No Doctor. There is a community environmental health book, which um, has been one of our most important recent publications. And then another new publication that came out in 2015 is A Worker's Guide to Health and Safety, which I believe you already covered on the radio. So I encourage people to go to you know, the Hesperian website, which is www.hesperian.org and see all the titles.
4: So folks may um, have been familiar with the book, um, Where There's No Doctor, Where There's No Doctor for Women, that really focuses on women's health. And this book, I know that there was a lot of demand for it. It took many years to put together. So why did you all think it was so important to focus on practical strategies to mobilize for change?
5: It became really clear, actually, in the process of developing that book, that many of the organizations that were contacted, that were giving feedback, wanted something more like what Health Actions for Women has now become. Having the basic information is extraordinarily important. Everyone recognized that. And Where Women Have No Doctor does include, but includes ideas about how to create change in the community for better health for women and girls. That's in the book. But... Not in great detail. Where There Is No Doctor has a companion guide called Helping Health Workers Learn, which is an entire book that includes activities and materials for community health workers to work in the community to do popular education, basically, around health and health issues at the grassroots level. So there was a realization that something more contemporary and something completely related to the issues that women and girls face specifically was actually in demand. There have been demands for it all the time ever since Where Women Have No Doctor came out. So this book is the fruit of a real labor of love to meet that demand and kind of collect the many suggestions that came in over the years from people, stories that came in, and build on those to produce the book.
4: So why don't you paint us a landscape? What are some of the many issues that you all covered? We're talking about Health Actions for Women put out by Hesperian Health Guides. So why don't you tell us, Kathleen Vickery, you're one of the co-authors of this book. You spent much time and energy making this a reality. So what were some of the main themes that came out?
5: Well, the, the main idea I would say, or the thing that we grappled with the most and that we sort of built the book around was, okay, so we know what the health issues are that women and girls face in their lives and what really has to change in in order for those challenges like to be met, to be overcome, let's say. And so, of course, this takes you pretty much in a direct route toward gender inequality and social barriers, really social barriers to health. So some of these are obvious in, again, in communities that lack, you know, health care services. And that's what our books and our materials are generally geared toward. They're geared toward health promoters and health workers who are, you know, perhaps the only providers or they're the gateways to any kind of health care that people do receive. And a big part of their role is prevention and health education. So that's kind of who the audience is. So the idea was to provide more tools for them and provide tools to open up conversations that would help people start right where they are. What are their perceived needs? What are their felt needs around health? And one of the big ones that's across the board in many communities has to do with safe motherhood. What prevents women from, say, you know, having healthy pregnancies and delivering healthy babies? What is it that prevents that from happening in so many places. So the book really begins with that. It begins with a topic that everyone is really concerned about. And it goes from there into the many ways and the many barriers that women face in order for that to be possible.
4: That's the voice of Kathleen Vickery. She's the co-author of Health Actions for Women, Practical Strategies to Mobilize for Change. Something that's really exciting about Hesperian Health Guides and the work you all do is how accessible it is. There's a lot of great drawings and activities and stories. So I know that you all worked with a lot of groups around the world to test and see that make sure this was really going to meet people's needs. Do you have any stories that came out or are featured in the book that give people a sense of what's covered?
5: Actually, this, this story came out of research that we did for the Workers' Health and Safety book, but it fit into the chapter in this book about organizing to prevent violence against women, to prevent gender-based violence. And it was a story about uh, women who – workers in the free trade zone factories in Sri Lanka. And they live or lived at the time the story was written in large community boarding houses outside the free trade zone. So union organizers there surveyed the women about their concerns and learned that women felt unsafe traveling to and from the factories at night because of robberies and rapes. The organizers helped women discuss the problem, some possible solutions, and actions that could lead to safer travel. Then they took their proposals to the factory owners, and they won several changes, including a local bus service between the zone and the boarding house. Now, that's really simply told later in the book. There's an entire chapter that sort of could lead a group through those steps with activities about, okay, beginning this discussion. So that it's the group itself. Any group itself identifies a problem and then talks about, okay, so what would it look like if we solved this problem? How can we get there? So the book includes step-by-step examples about ways to create that kind of discussion and it's very clear about saying, you're not going to probably win what you're fighting for the first time. So it also gives examples about what might happen the first time you go to the factory you know, and say, you know, we need safer transportation because this is happening. They say, no. Well, then what do you do? So th- there are examples of that sort of organizing in the book and examples of how this group or another group faced those kinds of problems and how they dealt with it and how they eventually won their demands. So Mm -hmm. tell
4: us a little bit more about the many groups that you all collaborated with or the types of groups you collaborated with to make this book a reality.
5: Well, a lot of this does have to do with Hesperian's long history of developing materials with groups around the world. So community groups in 23 countries contributed either feedback on the material we sent them or contributed their stories to this. Well, actually, there's a founding story that initiates the book. A group of community health promoters and midwives in rural Peru. Women dying in childbirth was a serious problem in a primarily indigenous community. And the midwives and, of course, the women in the community, it was no secret to them that part of the problem was that women who did have problem pregnancies, these were not, you know, women who could safely give birth at home, women who had problem pregnancies did not want to go to the government-sponsored health clinic that you know, was nearest to them. Because they were indigenous, because many of them did not speak Spanish and the staff did not speak Quechua or whatever their indigenous language was, and they felt that their their traditions were not respected. They were required to undress. This made them uncomfortable. There were a lot of things that just they were unwilling to go there and many women died because they waited too long when they got there it was too late or perhaps the clinic hours were not open at a time when they needed them and they felt really disrespected by the staff so the initial story in the book is one that is actually was developed with a person who was part of a group of health promoters and midwives who began to organize around this they just finally said you know there was one more death and they said that's enough you know we have to do something to stop this and we think we can change We can work with the health center if we really try. And, of course, it was a long struggle. But they did eventually, working with other organizations and other people in the community, finding out who had influence, who could influence whom, building allies to take their case. And they eventually did reach an agreement with their health center to make it more friendly toward the women from the indigenous community who really needed the services. And that led, over a period of time, to actually a major change in health policy in Peru for maternal health care throughout the country or at least throughout you know, the rural areas.
4: You've highlighted how this can be really valuable for folks in their language. Uh, Hesperian Health Guides has done a lot of work to make sure that its resources are available in many languages and especially Spanish. Spanish has been a, an important language for Hesperian Health Guides.
5: Can you talk to us about the next steps for health actions for women? Translation is the next step, getting it into Spanish. So we're right now we're we have proposals out to, and we're we're on the verge of starting the translation process, so we hope that it will come out in Spanish next year in two thousand and sixteen and then it's also worth mentioning that independently of what we actually do in terms of coordinating Spanish and English publications right here in in Berkeley, all of our publications are open access and have been translated collectively into well over 100 languages. And this is volunteer work. Sometimes we've been able to provide a stipend to groups that take on the translation project in different countries. But we don't really manage those translations, and we're very happy when people do take them on and make them available in local languages. And it's another thing that people can see on the website. There's a, a language page where you can see the really incredible number of translations that exist for the different books. So I'm speaking with Kathleen Vickery. She is
4: the co-author of Health Actions for Women, Practical Strategies to Mobilize for Change, put out by Hesperian Health Guides. So Kathleen, who's the ideal audience? Who can use this? Who uses this book? Who do you hope this book gets into the hands of?
5: This book is really for a very broad audience. Of And again, it's not just for women. In fact, a lot of effort was made to address men in this book and how men can and should be involved in any kind of community actions and organizing. And overcoming many of these social barriers depends on the fact that men overcome them too. I mean, they affect women's health, but the book in many ways addresses men to bring them into this discussion. There are over 60 activities in this book, and many of them involve role plays. They involve different ways to configure groups of people where sometimes you work with just men, sometimes you work with just women, sometimes those groups are not ready to work together, other times they are or it's a process that may be worked toward. So this book really is for anyone who is going to be in the position of – I keep saying working with because it isn't precisely training. We're really talking about a much more participatory process. We're talking about a process in which women may and probably should take some leadership, but definitely does not exclude men. And I'm just looking. I have the page open in front of me. I mean, group discussion helps women and men understand differences in sexuality. So this is an activity where the groups are, in fact, separate, and they're being asked to talk about, well, what, what does sex mean for them? And then there's steps here about where the women talk, the men talk. And then there is a person guiding the group, or a facilitator, or more than one facilitator, who then finds a way for them to exchange that information without embarrassing people. With and there's lots of techniques in the book, so that someone who really has never done this. in here the illustrations, unfortunately, we can't show on the radio, but there are illustrations pretty much on almost every page, which is one of the ways the book can be made accessible, again, to people with a wide variety of skills, people who've never done this sort of thing, people who may never have seen a PowerPoint, for heaven's sake. You know, I mean, this is, you know, who don't really necessarily construct information or construct their activities that way. So this tries to introduce different approaches that will work for different people at different stages, let's say of consciousness or different stages of being willing to take certain actions to actually change something that may have been the same for a really long time and yet constitutes a barrier to health. There's a lot of emphasis in the book, I would also add, again, sort of a founding principle of the book, of course, is the right to health for all and the right to health for all women and certainly human rights for all.
4: That's the voice of Kathleen Vickery. We're talking about health actions for women, practical strategies to mobilize for change. So how can people support Hesperian Health Guides and how can they connect to the work that Hesperian is doing and possibly download or access some of the other resources that are available?
5: The website has it all, and it's www.hesperian.org. Hesperian Hesperian is H-E-S-P-E-R-I-A-N. We are in Berkeley at 1919 Addison Street. There's an online bookstore, and we also distribute our publications out of the office. We are a nonprofit organization. We welcome donations and support of all kinds. So I really encourage anyone who's interested to look at the books, buy books, give books, give books for presents, gifts. To anyone you you think might be interested in this material, check us out. Well, thank you so much
4: for coming in and chatting with us about this great new book and new resource. And we look forward to hearing about it being available in Spanish. Oh, yes,
5: we are too. (laughs) So is that something people can support with? Absolutely. Good earmark donations for the Spanish translation.
4: Well, thank you so much. That's the voice of Kathleen Vickery. And we're talking about Health Actions for Women, the new book out that offers practical strategies to mobilize for change. Thank you. Thank you.
6: To your river, I will come to your river, I will come to your river. Come to your river, wash my soul, I will come to your river, wash my soul, I will come to your river, wash my soul again. Carry away my old leaves, Help of your waters sink my pains and complaints Let the river take them River drown them Wash my soul, I will come, come to your river. river Wash my soul, I will come to your river Wash my soul again
4: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de La Raza, on KPFA Radio. I'm Julieta Kusneed, and we are lucky to have on the line with Ramon. Alayo, who is the head of Alayo Dance Company, and he is bringing us this incredible festival called Cuba Caribe, and it's presented by Dance Mission Theater. It's a really exciting holiday extravaganza. So, Ramon, why don't you tell us about what's happening? I know it's underway. It started November 20th, but what are the many things that people can take part in between now and December 5th?
7: Well, what people can take now is going to be the second weekend. You know, the dancers are ready, you know, because we already did the first weekend. You know, and it's been a, a very exciting weekend because we almost have the first week almost sold out. So we're expecting more people this coming weekend. So we would love for people if there's really interesting, you know, the first weekend was almost sold out. So we would love if, you know, they're interested to come to go and get the ticket as soon as possible because it's only 100 people in every night on the performance. So, you know, and there's only five more performances left. The name of the whole thing is called Explosión Cubana, Una Noche tropical, based on the Tropicana that used to happen in Cuba. It's still happening, but it was big in the 50s and the 60s when the people from, from the U.S. used to go to Cuba and uh, have a good time. That was before the revolution, Fidel, uh, the Cuban revolution, before the people left Cuba, and all you know, the people used to go to, to Cuba to have a really, really nice Cuban traditional food and also uh, see a really traditional dance performance in Cuba. And that's what we're trying to do here in the U.S. in Dance Mission. We're trying to replicate the Tropicana from Havana, try to replicate here in Dance Mission Theater with dinner performances and all the performances with live music. And um, the director of the, of the group is Patricio Angulo, and under uh, on the, on the, his direction is we have four Cuban musicians. One of them is uh, Fito Reynoso, well known here in the Bay area. And the dancers, we have like almost eight Cuban professional dancers in the performance. So, you know, it's very uh, enthusiastic performance, very nice, good lighting, good food. And, uh, you know, we hope people really, they want to come to do it, you know, get the ticket as soon as possible.
4: So we're speaking to Ramon Alayo, he is the head of his dance company that will be performing as well as you'll be able to hear music with this 10-person orchestra band, this band that will be playing that um, Patricio Angulo will be directing. Is it going to be rumba? Is it going to be more folklorico? Is it, what kind of music are yeah, you all going to be? It's,
7: very, it's a very uh, mixed, it's a very mixed program, it's a, you know, we started from the riches you know, when I say origas, the origins, the origins Yoruba from, from the Yoruba, you know, we start with lewa because nothing open without Elegua. lewa is one of the riches that open and close all the road, and, and we always start with lewa, and after that we do different kind of riches, and after that, we you know, we do dance on, we do contemporary modern, Afro-Cuban modern, we do cha-cha-cha, mambo, song, we do salsa, Haitian dance, but so all those dance. We're not doing in a traditional way. We're mixing all those dance with all kinds of movement and um, to try to enrich more to into the theater that we, we, we are doing. So, yeah, we have almost all kind of Cuban traditional music and dance in the performance.
4: So many people may not know that you have a long history of teaching dance, and also you've studied dance, you know, a master's degree in dance, as well as, you know, many, many years of teaching. Yes. So <laughs> many know. people may, maybe some people have attended your classes it's here in the Bay Area. Oh, my goodness. People love Cuban dance, and there's so many places to see Cuban style of salsa and different things. So what makes your dance group different? What what are some of the things that you really focus on and try to highlight in your yeah, group?
7: What makes us different, my dance company and what we're doing right now is like, we are not only doing uh, African-Cuban modern, that is, that's more what I do. What makes it interesting and different is like, we, we only know accomplish doing only modern, so we do all kind of Cuban dance and music.
0: You know, we go from the
7: folklore, we go to, to the cha-cha-cha, you know, different kind of, of, of dance,
0: you know,
7: so that means I'm not only doing one thing, On my work, you know, I'm mixing all all Cuban dance to try to maintain the Cuban diaspora into my dance company or what what I do all the time with my dance. When I choreograph a dance, I always try to keep my root. For example, if I do a ballet piece, I will try to enrich the ballet piece with something that is very Cuban. So that will make different my work and what I do. So it's not only one thing. Usually I try to work in a thing. Like right now, the cabaret, what is the cabaret? The, the cabaret is not only modern. You know, it's, it's all things, it's about food. It's about people coming, having a really good mojito, really nice mojito. It's completely different when you're going to see my my modern performances. Explosión Cubana, that's what it is. It's the mix of all Cuban dances, the mix of all Cuban music and food.
4: So can you remind people again, the dates of the performances and also where they can get tickets?
7: The last five performances: the 27, the 28 is at 7:30. On the 29 is at 6:15. On the fourth is at 7:30, and the fifth is at 7:30. People can get tickets on brownpaperticket.com, or they can go to cubacaribe.org or dancemission.com and look for more information about you know where they they can get ticket, and also you know there is a number here 415 826 4441 where they can call and ask for more questions.
4: I've been speaking to Ramon Ramos Alayo, he is the director of Cuba Caribe and they've been putting together this big night, Una Noche Tropical. It's going to be a series of nights where people can enjoy Cuban dance, Cuban music with a live band and some wonderful food. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. No,
7: gracias a ti, Julieta. Gracias por estarnos la oportunidad de promocionar este festival que nosotros estamos haciendo. Es la segunda vez que, you know, we're doing it and we're expecting to be the last two in sold out. It's going to be really nice.
3: El ruso allá por los años se ve. Des... ¡No!
1: This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I received an email with the headline, Hispanic Community Garden, Taken by Boardwalk Owner Landlord. They're talking about Santa Cruz. A big community battle has lined up the Spanish-speaking community and thousands of their supporters against one of the largest landowners in Santa Cruz, including the beach boardwalk. While the Santa Cruz City Council has unanimously passed a resolution indicating their support for buying the productive, more-than-20-year-old garden land, it is working with the landlord now to take over more than a third of this garden. So we have invited Joe Bonano, one of the activists in this community garden, to tell us about this. Welcome, Joe, by phone, to La Raza Chronicles.
8: Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be on your show. I'm a long-time listener of KPFA and a long-time resident of Santa Cruz. I first became involved with the garden uh 2009 when I came here. It was one of the first projects that I involved myself with, and I planted there for years and learned from the the really experienced gardeners that were there in the Beach Flats Garden just doing their thing. They have their indigenous crops, their indigenous methods. It's just a really special, unique place. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to be involved with it for so long. And here I find myself years later fighting again to keep this garden open. One of the things about this garden is it's been consistently threatened throughout its existence. Numerous times it's There's been attempts to close it down on the part of the city, and now the landlord is trying to close it down. It's a beautiful space, but it's constantly under threat, quite possibly because it's in such a desirable location.
1: I just want to share with listeners something I found on your website about it, that the garden is called the Beach Flats Community Garden, or Jardin de la Playa and it's a sustainable, organic, urban garden located in the Mexican neighborhood of Santa Cruz, California, and close to the historic Santa Cruz boardwalk. A handful of gardeners have worked this land since the garden's inception in 1994, and today they are 23 gardeners in total. Each gardener has a contract with the city of Santa Cruz and works their land in accordance to that contract and their own gardening practices. They are from California, Oaxaca, Guadalajara, Nicaragua, and El Salvador. They speak various languages, including but not limited to Spanish, English, and Zapotec. Their crops include various types of beans, squash, chilies, lettuce, and corn, cucumbers, tomatoes, onions, cilantro, oregano, rosemary, basil, mandarins, lemons, tomatillos, chayotes, and strawberries and you can find them under Beach Flats Community Garden on the web. So, Joe, you've been working there for several years, growing, and what is happening now?
8: So let's take it all the way back to the early part of this year. I believe it was in March. The city issued a letter to the gardeners. That letter was mailed to the addresses, mailed to the residences that they had on file for each gardener. And so they all received a letter saying that the garden was going to be closing on November 13th, Friday the 13th, coincidentally, 2015. So that was the initial letter that the whole garden was going to be closed. So it took a little bit of time for that word to get out because information travels slower in this community because word of mouth is one of the primary ways that information travels and it's a little bit slower than email, text, or Facebook. So it took some time for you know that information to get out to the people involved. But over time, people from the university started getting involved, and uh, that's UCSC, and then general community members started becoming involved. And so um, over time, you know, our supporters grew from a handful to uh, an armful or a uh, truckload or, you know, we have our, our current email list for or garden organizers is somewhere around 80 individuals.
1: And many of your gardeners are from the immigrant community and not English-speaking
8: that is, that's very true, and, and one of the interesting things about the letter is that it was sent in English, and then it also had a Spanish portion of it, but that Spanish was definitely not translated well. So, you know, the letter that they received was not really accessible or re- readable by, by the gardeners because the translation from English to Spanish was so poor, and, you know, that's really unfortunate. The city would issue such a poorly translated letter to a community that they're representing. So us, what so. happened? What happened in what sense? I just want to clarify. Oh, well,
1: you said that on November 13th, you're going to have to clear off the land. You're okay, being thrown so, out. So what happened?
8: So since the letter was issued, the community and the gardeners have engaged with the city and made several attempts to engage with the Seaside Company, but they seem to be of the attitude that they only want to engage with the city since that has been their their primary means of uh, interaction. The Seaside Company is engaged with the city, and then the city... Engage with the gardeners, but they're not really that interested in engaging with us directly. They did meet with us one time, but that was just sort of PR-type move, so they could say that they had met with us, not so much a for them to actually have a real dialogue. Is the
1: city Um, defending you or protecting you? they
8: they passed the resolution, unanimously passed a resolution to try to preserve the garden and acquire it. And the Seaside Company has said it very explicitly that they don't want to sell it. So that leaves us in this interesting position where the city has committed to something that it has the power to do. But the question is, how much effort are the officials, you know, the mayor and the city council and Parks and Rec Department, how much how much are they really willing to do? That's what's going to be playing out in the next month. On, uh, on November, November 13th, the garden is closing. Uh, they're going to put a lock on it, and nobody's going to be able to get in there for at least a couple months. Uh, so your crops
1: will die
8: indeed yeah and uh, for the winter the city will be reconfiguring the garden to accommodate the new size they say that that hopefully they expect to open it by January so for the month of November the rest of the month of November and then also the month of December and then however long in January it takes them to get it all figured out the garden is going to be closed to everybody one of, one of the problems that we're, we're facing now is that for several years now the city has not been reassigning the parcels in the garden so there was a time not too long ago when all the parcels were assigned, and there was a huge wait list of 50 people, you know, since the city hasn't been reassigning the parcels, the number of those parcels have gone vacant as people have moved away or not had the time to continue gardening. So the number of gardeners with contracts has been reduced from 25 down to 17, and this number, 17 gardeners, has been repeated over and over and over, like broke a broken record from the city, especially the Parks and Rec Department. In a, lot, in a lot of ways, it feels like they looked at all the different ways they could measure measured the size of the garden and they chose the smallest one which was 17 people and so they explicitly stated that they want to preserve gardening for these 17 people only but the reality is that in the time that the city hasn't been reassigning the parcels, the gardeners are taking it upon themselves to reassign the parcels in an informal way so that the land doesn't get wasted and also if you've ever gardened before you know that unmaintained land attracts pests and weeds that contaminate the rest of your garden so it's unfortunate that the city can't recognize the damage they're doing by not reassigning those parcels. And so what's happened is now that the garden size has been reduced from 25 to 17, it's sad that this moment when the garden is in its weakest and smallest state that it's ever been in is the time when the city is reevaluating on how big the garden gets to be. It feels like it may have been intentional. That's hard to prove, but it may have just been a, a byproduct of budget cuts or, you know, disinterest in the you know, this neighborhood, the beach flat neighborhood, you know, may, may just be a byproduct of that. But the the result is the same in that the community is gonna be affected by their decision to not reassign these parcels. And so now now that the garden has been effectively downsizing downsized, they're gonna re- redevelop it. And and that's really unfortunate that those two things just happen to coincide. You know, the the closure of the garden is coinciding with the city's long term long term downsizing of the garden. What when can they, listeners
1: do here we are on November twenty fourth, what can listeners do to support and defend the garden?
8: Well, Beach Flats Garden has a website, beachflatsgarden.org, and we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Flats Community Garden. And so those are two really great ways to stay involved with us as we go through this process. You know, just because the garden is closing on the 13th, it's not a done deal because a lot has to happen before the, the seaside company can really take over that land to use it as they want because that land is zoned for residential uses. And so Community Garden serves the residential use, but the sea- site company wants to use it for landscaping for their for-profit business so in order to make that switch they're going to need to get a change of use permit from the city to move it from a residential to a commercial use so it's, it's a process and the city's going to have to go over and really get some good information from them about what they really want to do with that land Another so
1: Joe is- can I ask you to repeat the Facebook and website addresses slowly
8: yeah, we have a website at beachflatsgarden dot org and also a Facebook page at facebook dot com slash beachflats Community Garden. Or if you just search Beach Flats Community Garden, you should find the link on Facebook. Everything we do is published on the website in the Facebook page,
1: and you'll also there be able to find what you can do to help.
8: Yeah, so we have links there on how to support. We have a donation system set up so people can donate money to the cause. One thing is if we are going to purchase the garden, if, if the city does gain attraction to purchase the garden, that we may need to do some sort of crowdfunding for that. So if people donate to our to our page, then that gives us some, some leverage in motivating the city to put up a little bit. If we can put up a little bit, the city will put up a little bit, maybe some organizations can put up a little bit of money, you know, that... No- notion that there's not enough money to buy the garden, will sort of dissipate. Um, so that, that's one concern that has been expressed, is that it's going to be expensive to purchase this garden. Yeah, and the, the Seaside Company owns the boardwalk, several hotels in the area, and a large amount of parking in the neighborhood, I think close to 15 acres of parking. And the garden itself is only a half acre. So it's a very small piece of land in a neighborhood that's largely owned by this one company. So it's, it's really sad to see that teeny tiny piece of land that's surrounded by parking lots being threatened when when they have so many other properties in the neighborhood that they could possibly use for storage which seems like a very low value use for a space currently has a very high value to the community
1: well joe will going to stay posted of what's going on well thank you is there any last words you'd want to include if people want, they could
8: contact the boardwalk and, and tell them that they think this garden is really important. How? They, they have a, a PR person that, that can be contacted. His name is Chris Reyes, but on their website, they have information on how to contact them. So any, anybody who feels inclined, get a hold of them and say, hey, you're a family place and you're taking away a resource that benefits families in your neighborhood or something along those lines. So that's something that people can do because they're, they're a public company.
1: Well, good. Thank you very much. And we'll be getting back to you to find out what's happening at the Beach Flats Community Garden in Santa Cruz. Be well. All right. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>
3: You cried the long night through, well, you can cry me a river, cry me a river, I cry a river. so untrue. Well, you can cry me a river, cry me a river, I cry a river over you. You drop me, nearly drop me out of my head. Well, you never share <laughs> I remember all that you said. Told me love was too blue, being told me you were through with me. And now, now you say you love me. Well, just to prove you, do Come on, I am Now, now you say you love me, well, just to prove you do, come on and cry.
9: a mi me da con si a mi me da con si a mi me da que lastima con si a mi me da estos son los ratos buenos con si a mi me da que lastima con si a mi me da con si o a madre mía con si a mi me da que lastima Soy número de tiempo, España, conció mi me da. Qué lástima, conció mal mi me da. Ah, el sentimiento de manana conció mal mi me da. Qué lástima, conció mal a mi me da. Paguanco, colomillares, conció mal a mi me da. Qué lástima, conció mal mi me da. Estos son los ratos buenos, conció mal mi me da. Qué lástima. De la mes con Ciomada mi me Que lástima, con Ciomara mi me da. En el corazón mi madre con Ciomada mi me da. Que lástima, con Ciomara mi me da. De sentimiento manana, de manana, con mi me da. Que lástima, con Ciomara mi me da. Con Ciomara mi me da, con Ciomara mi me da. Qué lastima, <tomacker, hierro> Qué lástima, consioma da mi me da. Guagua, guaco, colomillas, consioma da mi me da. Qué lástima, consioma da mi me da. La brima lloré, consioma da mi me da. Qué lástima, consioma da mi me, me da. Yo te llevo negra mía, consioma da mi me da. Qué lástima, consioma da mi me da. En el corazón mi madre, consioma da mi me
6: da. Even if I feel the sun on my skin Every day If I don't feel you Even if I see the most beautiful things Up in the sky If I don't see Catch the wind, catch the clouds if I don't
0: been listening to Cronicas de la Raza, la Raza Chronicles on KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, community powered radio. If you'd like to listen to this program again or share it with others, just search for us la Raza Chronicles on soundcloud.com. And of course, remember to like us on Facebook to receive regular updates on news, arts, culture, musica del mundo latino. And we also love to get feedback from our listeners and hear about the ideas you have for future shows. So make sure to email us at larazachronicles at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for another La Raza Chronicles next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Hasta la próxima. Buenas noches.